A couple of years ago, I had to go to the ophthalmologist to get my vision checked. I was struggling with reading and noticed that my left eye was pretty blurry and that I could only read okay if I closed my left eye and read with my right eye only. As you can imagine, that's really not the way you want to continue doing life. And after saying this to my wife and her nagging me for a very, very long time, I finally decided to go see the ophthalmologist. When I did, it was confirmed that I was farsighted in my left eye and that I needed corrective lenses to help me see better. So after my appointment, I ordered my glasses and waited for them to come in. When they arrived, I cleaned them and I put them on. And I have to tell you, it was a little weird at first because I wasn't used to wearing them. And it took my eyes a little time to adjust. But when I went to read a book... I didn't have to struggle anymore to make out the words. It was crystal clear. My glasses helped me see clearly, giving me the right lenses so that I could see as God intended, no longer having a blurred vision that hindered me. Now, I have to be honest with you, my glasses haven't changed my vision. If I take them off right now and try to read, I cannot read anything. All I see is blurry lines. But my glasses allow me a way of overcoming and correcting my blurred vision. As we continue our sermon series entitled, In Christ Today, we encounter a man named Saul, who I believe also had some vision issues. As I said before, Saul was a devout Pharisee who had studied under Gamaliel, who was one of the most respected rabbis in all of Israel. Saul was well-educated, and he knew the Hebrew Scriptures very well. As a Pharisee, he sought to uphold God's law to a T, as best as he could. He had a zeal or a jealousy for the name of the Lord, and Saul would do anything to keep God's name pure and holy. So Saul, as you can imagine, was not a fan of Jesus nor of his disciples. You see, he believed that Jesus was a blasphemer, a misleader and a phony, because Jesus seemed to him to break the law of God even though he talked about the importance of following it. For instance, when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day or when Jesus would go and eat with tax collectors and sinners or when Jesus would not ritually cleanse his hands with his disciples before he ate a meal, these types of things that appear to be breaking the law, well, they wouldn't sit well with Saul. Therefore, he devoted his life to speak against the teachings of Jesus and to persecute those disciples who continued to follow him after his death. So Saul became known among the Christians as a persecutor and thorn in their flesh. So Luke tells us in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 1, that Saul was present at the stoning of Stephen, who was a follower of Jesus Christ. And Luke says, and Saul approved of their killing him. To Saul... His vision was just fine until the risen Jesus encountered him on his way to Damascus. You see, Saul was on a mission. He was on a mission sent by the chief priest to go to Damascus and to bring back Christians to Jerusalem so that they could meet their fate. And as he neared Damascus, Luke tells us, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, 
whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were there with Saul heard the voice, but they saw absolutely nothing. And when Saul opened his eyes, he saw absolutely nothing because he was blind. And he had to be led by these men into the city by hand. For three days, Saul was completely blind and he didn't eat or drink anything. In fact, as you can imagine, Saul was a bit mystified at what had just transpired. After all, he had been speaking against this Jesus whom the disciples believed was the Messiah. And now this Jesus has come to him and met him where he is and has called him to follow. After all of this, God gives a vision to a man named Ananias, and he tells him where to go to find this man named Saul and to place his hands on him so that he can have his sight restored. Well, as you can imagine, Ananias knows who Paul is, or Saul is, and he's very hesitant to go over there because Saul has a reputation among the Christians. He knows why he's there. He's there to capture the Christians and to take them back to Jerusalem. But God commands Ananias, saying, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. When the Lord says, Go, you go. So Ananias goes as God instructs him. And after greeting Saul, he laid his hand on him, and immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This time, Saul was able to truly see as God had intended for him. His blurred vision that Jesus was a liar and a fake was corrected by Jesus encountering him face to face on the road that had led him to persecution. Jesus stopped him dead in his tracks. The risen Christ, the one Saul knew had died at Golgotha, the place of the skull. And in this moment, Saul was finally able to see and experience the risen Jesus who didn't condemn him or scold him but called him to obedience to do what he had instructed him to do. Saul's life was about to change. In fact, his encounter with Jesus changed the direction of his life from that day forward. Saul would eventually take on a new name. and We know him as Paul, who has written most of the New Testament letters that we read today. And it's Paul who teaches us about what it means to be in Christ in his second letter to the Corinthians, telling us, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You see, Paul's encounter with Jesus completely changed his perspective and vision of who Jesus truly is and what his death and resurrection mean for all of us. He says that because of Jesus' death, we also died with him. 
And he means this metaphorically, of course, because his emphasis is that Jesus has defeated the hold of sin and death over us. Jesus' death has swallowed up our sin, therefore sin has also been defeated within us. He puts it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In Jesus' death, we have died to ourselves so that we can live for God. In Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Paul says, we're new creations in Christ. But this doesn't mean that our lives have been overhauled and restarted. God does not wipe us away and then resurrect us into some new being. He keeps us as we are, but he recreates us. Almost a year ago, this past March, our house flooded uh, while my wife and kids were gone for four days to Charleston, South Carolina for a fundraiser with my wife's work. We had been nowhere during the pandemic. For four days, we were gone for the first time away from our home. And I forgot to turn the water off before we left. And as we left and we came back, as soon as I arrived home and I opened the door, I remember that particular Sunday walking in. And as I came in, uh, I saw what looked like a river of water coming over our loft into our living room and down into our basement. And we had an inch of water down in our basement that had a drain, if that tells you anything. And so the water had probably been running for at least two days. It destroyed about 65% of our home. So we had to move out and to rent a space for five months. We lived away from our house while our house was being worked on. As you can imagine, it was a mess and a disaster. It required folks to come in and to mitigate all the stuff that was going on. And the way they did that was basically by tearing out everything that had been ruined including the flooring and the insulation and the sheetrock and everything that your eyes could essentially see, everything was gutted and thrown out like a hurricane had hit. And if you've ever been on one of those trips before, that's what you do. You muck out everything and you just gut it down. The one thing that wasn't replaced in our house was the framing, the studs that were used to actually build the house and that it stood upon. Instead of getting rid of those, they brought in these big heaters and let them uh, heat up the house for two weeks. They ran continuously. Dehumidifiers drawn out the moisture and the heaters helped dry everything out. And so the studs remained there. And after all that had transpired, they began to redo the work, to rebuild it. The house was recreated to be better than it was before It underwent a transformation, and I have to tell you, that transformation didn't happen overnight. It took a lot of time. It was little by little. It was month by month. Things began to uh, take shape and began to come back to the way that it used to be. In fact, it was put back together in such a way that it was far better than the way we had it. You see, Paul's understanding of being in Christ is much like that. When we come to Christ, our hearts are not removed from us. Our hearts remain right where they are. But what Christ does is he cleanses them and he restores them. 
our lives undergo a transformation, a recreation in which we begin to see differently. And what God does is He puts new glasses on us so that we can see clearly, giving us a corrected vision of what and who matters most. In doing so, we begin to see that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ according to His teachings and to His Word. And in doing so, we undergo a remodeling of sorts. The Holy Spirit, God, is with us, within us, working on us, altering us, and opening our eyes to the damaged ways that we've been living and we've been seeing And so we're called to remove the affected areas of our lives and replace them with what God would have us do. Dying with Christ reminds us that our lives are not simply about us. Our vision shifts to see that we are here for and by Christ. That God has given us his salvation and his love and his grace freely. Because he loves us, not because we can earn it. And like Paul, our vision was once blurred from seeing this, but God encountered us right where we were, and he opened our eyes to see him for who he is. But our lives are a daily journey of transformation, much like a potter shaping and molding clay into the object that she has chosen to create. But there's a caveat to this too. While sin is defeated, the truth is is that we still struggle with it. My vision is still blurry if I remove my glasses. And it's quite easy for us to revert to the blurred vision that we once had rather than seeing as God intends for us to see. And unfortunately, that hinges on our desire to either live for ourselves or to live for Christ. I find that Everything would be just much easier if faith were like a vaccine that attacks the desire to sin and it prevents it from ever rearing its ugly head in our lives. But you and I both know that faith does not work that way. Every single day is a battle. It's a battle within us to live for God or to live for ourselves. And the Holy Spirit lives within us to help us walk in the ways of Jesus. But sometimes we ignore the Spirit and we feed our own desires. And the truth is, is we can say that we love Jesus. We can even say that we follow Jesus. But words are meaningless unless they are matched with our actions. You see, this was Saul's struggle after he encountered Jesus too. Many were still uncertain that he had changed his ways, even though he was saying the right things and seemed to be doing the right things. In fact, Luke goes on in Acts saying, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. They needed to see that Saul had changed, that he followed Jesus, not just with his words, but also with his actions. And over time, Saul proved to them that it was true. As he joined them in ministry, he began to preach about Jesus which ultimately led him to his own death. And I find that it's equally important for us that our lives show that we are also in Christ. You see, Paul talks about how Christ has reconciled us to God and given us this ministry of reconciliation too. And then he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
An ambassador is a representative. In this case, we are representatives of Christ. We are Christians. We are Christ's ones. And we cannot say that we love Christ or follow Christ and refuse to love others or remain angry and hold grudges with one another. We can't say that we follow Christ and do things that put me first or only seek what's best for me. Reconciliation is about mediating and making things right between two parties. It requires us to forgive as Christ forgives us. It requires us to love as Christ loves us. In fact, and when we do so, as Paul says, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Because Jesus has corrected our vision. We can see as the Lord sees. And therefore we're called to love, to forgive to reconcile, to heal, and to care as he does. The way that we love our neighbor matters to our neighbor, but it also matters to God. And if we are God's ambassadors, then it's important that others see Jesus and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And the truth is, we wouldn't want to mislead anyone or give anyone a wrong impression of who God is if we are God's representatives. And although we're not perfect... We are a work in progress as we seek to live out Christ's will daily. Like Saul, we are not condemned by Christ, but commanded by Jesus to be obedient, to get up, to go, where he will tell us what we need to do. See, in Jesus Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone, and the new has come. You know, I sure hope that people who knew you in your past and can see you today, recognize a change in your life. Not everyone experiences a light shining from heaven and the voice of God speaking directly to them. If we all did, it would sure make life easier for all of us, and we would know what God was asking us to do. But that's not how it always works. Some people experience conversion experiences like Saul, and there are others who are developed and nurtured in their faith day by day. There's no one right way because God meets all of us wherever we are. But what's most important is that our encounter with Christ, that moment that our faith becomes real to us, that it allows us to see Jesus more clearly and that we allow ourselves to be transformed, to be recreated by his Holy Spirit who dwells within us. This doesn't mean that we'll immediately become super Christians. And that we'll have it all together and we'll know exactly what to do. No, what it means is that we're intentional in allowing God to mold us and to shape us more and more into his image each and every day. Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, as we hear the word of God today, as we are reminded by Paul's words to us, we've had our eyes open. God has opened our eyes so that you and I can see him clearly. Our calling is to be intentional, to keep that vision clear. 
to keep those glasses on so that we don't have a blurred vision reverting back to our old habits and our old ways, but to see clearly, to live in the way of Jesus Christ, to live as new creations, letting our old selves go and welcoming Christ lead into our lives that we might truly be ambassadors who represent our Lord's love and grace rightly to those who encounter us. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.